Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the first episode of 2017 of the Mike Sappho Podcast. Coming to you live from Jack Dempsey's Bar, 36 West 33rd Street, around the corner from the Empire State Building. Happy New Year to all. There's only a few more days left till it's uh, acceptable to say that. First podcast of the year, and everyone who wants to listen, go to iTunes or Stitcher or any other iTunes uh, podcast app and search Mike Sappho. And soon my friend Sean Riddle is going to be uh, gracing me with an awesome website. Sitting across from me is truly one of my favorite authors. He's been on before, but this is the first time live. It's like online dating. We uh, spoke only on the internet, but now we're talking live. Author of over 30 books, most notably for me, books on H.H. Holmes, Albert Fish, Ed Gein, and a book I just finished, Maneater, and many more. American true crime sensation, Dr. Harold Schechter. Doctor, thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. Uh, Very happy to be here. Happy New Year to all. First question, how's the eye? I know we wanted to get on December, and you said something happened with your eye. What happened? I did. uh, I had a detached retina in my uh, right eye, and I had to undergo a kind of surgery that I was always hoping I could get through my life without having to (laughs) have... um, where they, uh, uh, while you're awake, actually, although Oof. they're giving you so much anesthesia that you don't give a shit what they're doing, but um, <laughs> you know, they cut open your eye and remove the vitreous fluid and put a gas bubble in, and then you have to lie face down. I only had to do it for three days. I had a friend who had to lie face down for like 10 days because the, the bubble has to rise up and press against the retina. And you're and awake he, the whole time? Like, you're awake during the operation? Yeah, you are. Oh, God. But, but you know, I mean, one thing about the anesthesia is you don't really remember <laughs> I'm just awake enough to keep asking for more, you know? <laughs> like, every time I became aware of what they were doing to me. Um, so, um, but anyway, yeah. So, you know, it's still, it's healing. Um, I, once it is, when the, when the gas bubble is in your eye, and it lasts about six weeks or more, you're not allowed to fly. So that was a little bit of concern to me because, as I mentioned to you earlier, uh, my daughter was getting married in Cartagena, Colombia, and I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to make it. But uh, in the end, I did. So. I would have gladly taken your spot and uh, <laughs> walked it down the aisle. Yeah. I would have. <laughs> yeah, sure, my daughter will enjoy that. Yeah. Now um, let's get to the real business. You're a huge sports fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Any football predictions or zero <laughs> interest in any sports? I have friends who are like incredible Giants fanatics. Okay. So have to go with that. (laughs) It's funny. I always say sports ruined, like, it's the best time in my life, and it's the worst time. It's ruined 99% of relationships, but the ups and downs. I'm like a battered wife, sadly. (laughs) My team will hurt me, but I keep coming back for more. And I envy people who don't like sports. I truly do. I feel you guys are way happier. (laughs) Well, you know, I don't really follow them by any means religiously, but, you know, but I do, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, I will turn on a game. And what's always amazing to me is how emotionally wrapped up I get in it. And it makes me feel incredibly sorry for people who are really sports fans. Because I basically don't give a shit. Oh. And, I, and I get so emotionally caught up in it. You know, anyway. So. The truth, I'm, I, I've said this before and Sean's heard this. My ex-wife, and this is the truth, she left me. And the big reason we divorced is sports. Yeah, yeah. Because I was too emotionally into it. It was, yeah. anyway, listen. Yeah. I've had on athletes, celebrities, like we said, Damien Eccles, people from Locked Up Abroad, um, other authors, and I had told him I had to control my fanboyness. I was more <laughs> like, excited. Like I thought I'm like, oh, this guy's coming on. But I'm like, Harold Schechter's coming on. Like I was stoked <laughs> the whole day yeah, that you're coming on, so I really do appreciate it. Um, uh, that's uh, very flattering. Thanks very much. Next to me is your book, Man Eater. I actually just finished it. It was my 51st book of last year. Uh-huh. 
absolutely love the book. Thank just you. give everyone, because it's your latest book, yeah. just give everybody the quick, um, a quick synopsis of the book. Story. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Man Eater is about uh, the uh, Colorado cannibal um, uh, Alfred Packer, uh, who was a member of a, uh, a mining uh, expedition, a silver mining expedition back in 1874, Colorado. Um, he and five of his companions got uh, snowed in in the wilderness. Uh, and this was in February. Um, about six months later, or maybe I guess it was about three months later, he emerged from the wilderness uh, by himself, looking unusually well fed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, uh, anyway, it turned out that, um, as he kind of freely admitted, he, he ended up, he had eaten the other five guys, um, but he claimed that he had not murdered them. Uh, you know, a lot of people, if you look online, a lot of people say that Packer was the only person convicted of cannibalism in the history of the U.S., which is actually not true. Turns out, I don't know if this is a useful bit of information, there's only one state in the Union uh, in which cannibalism is illegal, um, which is Idaho. There are no <laughs> statutes against cannibalism uh, in any other state of the Union. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, he admitted he had eaten them, but he claimed that one of the other members of the party had killed the other four guys and then attacked him, and he had killed the fifth guy in self-defense. Um, anyway, uh, he ended up being tried for m murder. I mean, there were a lot of holes in that story mm -hmm. uh, because they ended up discovering... Uh, the bodies of the five other miners, all of whom seem to have been killed in their sleep. Um, and uh, anyway, Packer, um, it was a hugely sensational case. Um, it was like the biggest case of its time, wasn't it? Oh, totally, yeah. Uh, Packer was ultimately convicted of murder, sentenced to death. Uh, the murder, the conviction was overturned on a technicality. He was retried. Um, convicted of uh, beca uh, because of double jeopardy, he w couldn't be tried for murder again. Um, he was convicted of five counts of manslaughter and given successive, I think, eight-year sentences. Anyway, basically sentenced to 40 years in uh, the state pen. Um, and he ultimately ended up being paroled. But, you know, in Colorado, he's, uh, you know, kind of a folk figure. You know, the uh, student cafeteria at the University of Boulder, where I taught for a year, it's called the Alfred Packer Memorial Cafe. How crazy is that? <laughs> yeah. You said that last time. Is that the cra it's the craziest yeah. thing. Like Now it's yeah. just a complete joke that he yeah, did yeah. it. Well, the South Park guys, Matt, Matt Stone, Stone and, and Trey, Trey Parker, Parker. Yeah. you know, they did, well, I think while they were students in Boulder, um, they did a movie called Cannibal the Musical, um, which is based on Packer, you know, which is kind of like a completely deranged version of Oklahoma or something like that. Um, but uh, but anyway, yeah. So that's, you know, that's Packer's story in a nutshell. And the one cool thing about the book, because I was going to read it, you came on, yeah. I read a lot of your, I guess, killing morbid books, uh -huh. and I was a little nervous. Like, I'm like, it, this is one, like, one story. It's one time frame something happened. I'm like, how is he going to stretch it out, the whole book? Oh, yeah. But you know what part I loved? It's, I hate this when I say I love this part about <laughs> the killing book. I love... When his, his father read, like his father, they didn't know where he was. Yeah, yeah. And his father read in the newspaper, like, out, yeah. that was, yeah, yeah. it's not yeah, like now well, it's very, yeah, been, Twitter yeah. in 30 seconds. But. Yeah. I mean, you know, he'd been separated from his family for a long time. I mean, you know, one of the things about these books that I write, and I've actually written one since, which is coming out next year. Okay. Um, but, uh, 
you know, I, I do a lot of primary source material. You know, a lot of people who write about famous criminals will just go to other people's books about them. And, you know, so a lot of misinformation mm-hmm. just ends up being repeated and repeated and repeated. Like with Packer, you know, one of the issues is how he even spelled his first name, you know, because m- he called himself Alfred Packer and he had his arm tattooed that way. Um, but, you know, in the course of my research, I discovered, I dug up all these letters from his siblings. And it just turned out they were all, like, totally illiterate, <laughs> you know. Um, and, uh, and once he was in prison, he actually educated himself and became quite literate and quite a, a good writer, a fluent writer. You know, and then he started spelling his name right. But, you know, just, you know, I tried to debunk a lot of the myths that grow up around these people. Do you read, this might sound silly, do you read the reviews on your books? Sure. Did you, I went on today, right before I yeah. came here, we're walking here from my yeah. apartment, and I went on Amazon, and someone complained about the book, yeah. not enough pictures. I'm like, dude, the <laughs> yeah. book's from the 18, 18- what pictures are we getting on there? Yeah. Like, Well, some people, I mean, you go on the Amazon reviews, they're like, one star, you know, <laughs> it was damaged when it arrived <laughs> in the mail. <laughs> so, yeah, you take that with a grain of salt. One yeah. thing about Packer that you did, as you're reading the book, he was like despicable. And like you started to like humanize him, yeah, and then yeah. right away you're like, hey, but he's despicable. I think I don't know what your point was, but you humanize him, then you let everybody know he's yeah. still a bad dude because yeah, he was yeah. a bad guy. Like he was yeah, a yeah. schemer, he was a scammer. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things about Packer, um, and this is also true of the book I just finished. I mean, there is a certain amount of ambiguity about whether he really did commit these murders. You know, he went to his grave insisting that he was innocent. Um, and of course, you know, there were no forensics back then, you know, to really determine it. So, you know, when I got to the end of the book, my editor said, you know, the reader is going to want to know what you think of the guy. And to- what happened was, you know, at the end of his life, towards the end of his life when he was paroled, um, this muckraking female journalist who called herself Polly Pry oh, yeah, yeah. Um, was doing this whole expose about prison conditions in Colorado. And she, she met Packer, and uh, she became convinced you know, that he was innocent uh, and launched this campaign to get him paroled, which ultimately succeeded. Um, you know, and then other people who knew him at that time, you know, he, seemed, you know, he did seem back then you know, kind of a harmless, well, he was you know, kind of a harmless old guy. Um, nobody could really imagine that he had perpetrated these atrocities, you know. But, you know, one of the things I, I say at the end of my book is, y- y- you know, there are a lot of examples of heinous criminals who mellow, yeah. you know, in their old age. Plus, I mean, the conditions under which he committed those crimes were so, you know, excruciating and torturous. You know, I did a lot of research into the effects of starvation. I mean, all these guys were starving to death. You know, and there are people who are completely stripped, you know, of any trace Didn't of they eat, like, the soles of their shoes and oh, stuff? They're they're eating, yeah, they're roasting their moccasins and stuff. And, I mean, you know, there are, you know, there are, there are, you know, there are parents who... I went on a cruise with my daughters once, and I said, you know, <coughs> if this ship founders, I'm going to be cannibalizing. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I wasn't even hungry at that point. Um, so, um, Save one. yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, so you can never tell. Yes. Yeah, so, so that's uh, that's another factor to be considered. Now, you mentioned your next book. What is the next book? Uh, I did a book on uh, a woman named Belle Gunnis, who is known as the Lady Bluebeard of Laporte, Indiana, who was a Norwegian immigrant. 
who came over here, uh, married a couple of husbands who died under very suspicious circumstances. Uh, she came into fairly large insurance settlements. Uh, she bought a farm in this uh, uh, city in Indiana called Laporte, about a couple of miles outside the city. And she began to uh, put um, ads in uh, matrimonial ads in Norwegian language newspapers throughout the Midwest and correspond with these lonely Norwegian bachelors. Uh, and, uh, you know, she would filter them out. And the ones who didn't have, like, much family or, <laughs> or anything. Um, anyway, she would lure them to her farmhouse, instructing them, you know, to bring all their cash with them. Uh, and then uh, dispatch them, you know, feed them a nice big down-home Norwegian meal um, full of arsenic, and then she would <laughs> chop up their bodies and bury the dismembered bodies in her hog lot. Um, anyway, she, you know, her crimes were ultimately uncovered. Uh, they dug up, I think they stopped, you know, they dug up about a dozen dismembered bodies and then just stopped digging. Um, but the thing about her was the way they discovered her crimes, one, the brother of one of her victims became very suspicious um, because his brother, you know, had been corresponding with Bell for like a year and a half and then had, g had gone off and never returned. Um, so she knew that this brother was on his way to investigate. And shortly before the brother arrived, her, ha her farmhouse burned to the ground. What a coincidence. Yeah. yeah. And they discovered in the, in the charred remains of the basement, they discovered um, her, the, the bodies of her three children um, and the corpse of a, of a woman, but the corpse was headless. Oh, God. Yeah. So even today, and there's a big difference of opinion about him, nobody knows if she died, if that was her, you know, if she had lured another woman to the farm and decapitated her. Oh, wow. Said, uh, I was under the impression when you were telling it that that wasn't her, that she, so she might have escaped or whatever? Yeah, she might have escaped in 19, this was in 1908. In 1930, there was a woman who was murdering her husbands, an elderly woman, who murdered a few husbands by poisoning them, uh, named Esther Carlson in Los Angeles. And uh, people, and she was arrested, and people became convinced she was Belle. And, 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 and they got a couple of guys from the port to come out and identify her. But before they arrived, she, Esther Carlson, died of tuberculosis. So they could only look at her corpse. But they positively identified her as Belle Gunnis. But um, could be wrong, but so she was uh, referred to as Bluebeard. Well, they were called they called her the Lady Bluebeard because you know the story of Bluebeard. He was murdering all these wives, so she was murdering all these husbands and potential husbands. So they called her. You know, there's a whole variety of there's a whole variety of serial killer known as Bluebeard killers, and they usually refer to these husbands. You know, these men who marry a succession of wives and kill them for their money. Um, they, you know, because she was doing that with men, they called them the lady. Uh, they called her a lady bluebeard. You know, nowadays they call them black widows often. Yeah. But, um, but, uh, but I didn't even know that 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 particular phrase existed back then. 
Because so. H.H. Holmes is referred to that They're too, all, yeah. isn't he? Well, all these guys are called Bluebeard Killers. There was another oh, guy okay. at the same time named Henry Landrieu, um, and there was another guy named Johann Hock, H-O-H-C-H, um, who was a contemporary of uh, Bell Gunnis, and they called him a Bluebeard. But, you know, that, that's just what they call that particular variety of serial murderer. Yeah, I was yeah. watching that uh, video that uh-huh. you did uh, yeah, yeah. with H.H. Uh, Holmes, mm-hmm. uh, the documentary. Yeah, yeah well, when, when Bell Gunnis... When her crimes um, were discovered, they were comparing her to Holmes and comparing her to uh, these other guys. Yeah, but Holmes' case was evoked in a lot of the newspaper stories when they uh, discovered her crimes. So. Now, I, I want to get back to Holmes in a second, but I actually have a note. <clears throat> yeah, most books you do, uh-huh. like this one, like, how do you even look it up? Like, how randomly? Because I always Google, like, yeah. notorious killers, books about infamous killers like unknown how this one even come about because the albert fish one how it came out yeah if you can do that and just roll it into the albert fish thing for me well well, you know i come at this career (laughs) you know from a kind of odd angle um and it's never one that i actually expected that i would have um you know uh, basically my day job has always been a a literature professor you know i've taught american literature uh, at queen's college here in new york for 40 years in fact i'm just on the brink of retiring so I've always been really interested in, um, you know, certain kind, thank you, um, <laughs> certain, you know, storytelling, and specifically for a whole variety of reasons, you know, why we like to hear stories about monsters, you know, and why we like to hear horror stories. So years ago, I was actually researching a book about movies, and uh, I was doing the chapter on horror films, and I discovered then that. Um, Two of my then favorite horror movies, Psycho and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, were both based on, you know, this real case, Ed Gein. Uh, and I'd know nothing about him. At that time, he was pretty obscure. Um, so I, I, I researched that, and that became my first true crime book. And at that time, I didn't even think of myself as writing true crime. I thought I was, like, inventing a new genre. I called it true horror, okay. you know, because I was, wanted to write about <coughs> real-life monsters. Um, and uh, as I think I might have told you, one of the people that I was in contact with while writing the game book was Robert Block, who wrote the original book Psycho. Uh, and you know, I asked him why he thought people were so fascinated by Gein, and he said, "Well, they forgot about Albert Fish." So I started looking into Albert Fish. You know, Fish, uh, you know, is most, in the opinion of most people, myself included, you know, the most heinous serial murderer uh, in the annals of American crime. You know, he was this cannibal pedophile who had preyed on children for 50 years or whatever. Um, so anyway, at that point, um, you know, partly, you know, I had an editor back then. I had been writing books about really whatever interested me at the moment. Um, and my editor, you know, gave me this very good advice, which I've since passed on to other aspiring writers, which was if you want to have, you know, successful careers <coughs> as a writer, you should pigeonhole yourself. You know, partly because the marketing people, you know, have so much to do with determining what gets bought and published and sold. Because you did do a book, um, How They Do Special Effects. That was the book I was working on when I came across the Ed Gein case. I was working on the horror chapter of that book. But that's exactly, you know, before that I did a book on horror special effects. I did a, I, I can't even remember, but, you know, first I was doing academic writing. Yeah. Um, but I was also, I've always been interested in popular culture. You know, I did a book on comic books. I was just, whatever was interesting to me at the moment. Um, but yeah, that was the book, it's called Film Tricks. 
and I was working on the chapter on horror movies. Uh, I went out to Pittsburgh, you know, I spoke to George Romero and uh, Tom Savini, you know. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that's, that's what led me to this other life as a true crime writer. But in answer to your question, you know, after a while, you know, I, I just became so immersed in the subject that I came to learn a lot about all these very, very infamous criminals, you know, many of whom had been completely forgotten. You know, Holmes, at the time I wrote the book, I mean, you know, he's since become very well known because of Eric Larson's book. You know, Larson's book you drew take, very... You're taking my, my, my next questions, yeah. damn it. <laughs> yeah, <sorry. laughs> okay. yeah, I mean, Larson's book drew very, very heavily on my book. Um, a little too heavily for my own comfort, in a way. <laughs> but, um, uh, but, uh, but um, you know, by the time I wrote that book, actually, uh, interestingly, Robert Block had written a novel based on H.H. H. Holmes called American Gothic. Um, and I, I don't quite remember if that was part of the reason, you know, that I turned my own attention to Holmes. Um, you know, but at this point, for better or worse, uh, you know, I'm so immersed in the subject that, um, and there's, you know, again, for better or worse, there's just no shortage <laughs> of, of uh, you know, psychopathic sex killers, you know, to write about. So. But I'm going to tell you, here's what I wrote. I circled the word because you just said it. Do you feel pigeonholed? Because I make myself little notes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's circled. circled. Oh. It says pigeonholed because <laughs> you've written over 30 books, and I don't think Harold Schechter can write a love story or a funny yeah. book. Like, do you feel like, okay, I'm going to write a book. Got to be about another killing, yeah. which I want. I yeah. want you to write more, yeah. but I actually wrote the word pigeonholed. Yeah, like, yeah. do you feel pigeonholed? Yeah. Do you? Well, well, you know, yes and no. First of all, I mean, I have written other stuff. You know, I wrote this series of mystery novels with Edgar Allan Poe. Um, and, um, but, you know, I, no, I feel very lucky, really. Mm -hmm. You know, again, for whatever reason, and we probably don't want to examine it too closely, <laughs> the subject is congenial to my temperament. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I just love writing. I just love writing books. And, you know, the other thing about it, you know, I did begin life and, has spent most of my life as an academic. And one of the reasons I became an academic is because I love doing research. So, you know, writing these kinds of books fulfills a whole variety of needs for me. You know, I get to do research. I get to do something that is very interesting to me, which is figure out how to turn thousands of pages of dry, dusty documents, old newspapers and court records, you know, into a compelling story. And then, you know, again, I, I grew up, I'm a baby boomer, you know, I grew up in the 1950s, which, you know, most, and 60s, you know, most people have romanticized the 50s, you know, it was this incredibly benign, <laughs> you know, dull, you know, but it was like steeped in all kinds of horror stuff. You know, my whole sensibility was shaped by, you know, the old DC horror comics and all the horror movies that were first being shown on TV. You know, these incredible monster, you know, I'd go every Saturday to my, you know, I grew up in the Bronx, go every Saturday to the, you know, neighborhood theater and see, you know, whatever, the incredible shrinking man. <laughs> or, um, you know, and, uh, you know, so, you know, so my, as I said, my sensibility's always been steeped in the world of horror and monsters. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I really, enjoy writing this kind of stuff now you wrote a lot of historical mm -hmm. non do you ever see like a current story like wow that's beyond intriguing 
I want to write a book about that, or you yeah. tend to like to write stuff about the older stuff. Yeah, I like to write stuff about the old stuff. And you know, every now and then, in fact, just last week, somebody will contact me and say, you know, I got this like amazing. Somebody, you know, on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook, but I have somebody who I have like a Facebook page where somebody goes an on entourage. for me. Yeah, well, not an entourage, but somebody who goes on and if somebody writes to me, you know, we'll forward it. Um, you know, but this person said, you know, there's this amazing murder that happened in my family, and I'm sure it would be like an amazing book and blah blah blah. Um, and I've had actually a couple of uh, notorious contemporary serial killers contact me through intermediaries. No, I have to cut you off because you, you took all my notes. It says, <laughs> Larson, oh. has anyone in jail written? All right, so let, let's go. So people in jail have written to you because that was actually, yeah. and I, I hate to cut you off, but I actually make these little notes. Yeah. But has any notorious people, any killers few, or yeah. victims have no, contacted victims. you? Really? But, but uh, you know, but, but you know, one or two have contacted me and said, you know, if I want, you know, you know, they, they were eager to cooperate with me and even maybe reveal stuff. You know, but, well, you probably know this better than I do. Um, you, you know, I, I just want to have very limited contact with those <laughs> kinds of people. You know, the, the very limit, well, you know, a lot of them are con men. I mean, they're all con men, really. Um, anyway, yeah, so, no, I'm just really interested. And the other thing about my books is, I mean, for me, they're, you know, they're, they're social histories. You know, because, you know, one of the things that's very interesting to me is why, out of all the horrendous crimes that happen on a daily basis, you know, this incredible infinitesimal fraction, you know, become these national obsessions and, you know, these cultural hallmarks and, you know, sometimes these mythic figures, you know. You know, what is it about? It's not really the awfulness of the crime. No, you know, it's something about the characters and the stories and so on. But, you know, looking at the particular crimes that the society is obsessed with at any given moment, you know, tells you a lot about what's going on in the culture at that time. You know, you learn as much about the 1920s, you know, from studying the Leopold and Loeb case, you know, as you do from looking at Charles Lindbergh's flight or something. You know, so, so the other thing that you know, I try to do in my book is put it in some kind of social, cultural context. And obviously, you know, you have to look at historical stuff for that. Now, do you have, I don't want to say fun, it's your job, but you do have a cool job. Like, you write awesome books. Do you have fun writing these books? And obviously you do. You wouldn't yeah. be doing it just for the money. Do you ever become so engrossed? Because you go to some dark places in mm -hmm. these books. Like, yeah. Man Eater, maybe it wasn't as dark because... Yeah, yeah. It sounds to be, it was far, it was a long time ago. Yeah. But Albert Fish, yeah, yeah. kind of close, you read the letter, which is yeah, the yeah. most fascinating thing. I'm obsessed with it yeah. um, in a good way. Like H.H. Um, H. Holmes, like yeah. you put yourself in dark places. Yeah, Do you yeah. become engrossed sometimes that's in a story? A, that's a really interesting uh, question. And, and, you know, mentioning Fish, you know, now not so much. But back then, when I first started, you know, yeah, I mean, in order to write those books, I had to go to, you know, some pretty dark places in my own head. Um, and that was particular. I mean, the, the fish book was the most difficult book for me to write, uh, partly because he was so fucked up. Um, and again, you know, like I, again, had to kind of dig into, you know, certain sadistic aspects of my own personality in order to empathize with him to the extent that you can. 
But the other thing was I, my, my daughters at that time were very young. Um, so, you know, writing about this guy who's like preying on young girls and stuff. So, yeah, that book was uh, the hardest. You know, now the way I kind of feel about well, first of all, I mean, my last few books haven't really been about, you know, the kind of sadistic psychopaths that um, my earlier books were about. Yeah, we're starting a petition to bring that back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, you know, they've really been more about mass murderers than serial killers. Um, but also, you know, I, you know, the analogy I use is like, you know, a med student. You know, you might get like totally freaked out the first few autopsies you perform. You know, but you do become a little inured to it. So, so yeah. But but the earlier on, absolutely. I'm not allowed to say what I do for work because that's kind of like the agreement I have with my job. Yeah. But it's right because I remember the first time I saw a certain, like a deceased body, I'm like, I was 21. I'm like, whoa, I've, I've never seen a person die of not natural causes. And the first time I saw, um, I had to speak around it, a crime and the person, a victim, like, whoa. Yeah. Sadly, now you're immune. You can have a, a yeah. hamburger now. Yeah. Sadly, over right. it, like just yeah, yeah. having a conversation, yeah. and not that you're immune to it at all. But yeah. now you just read like, "Oh, that's horrific." But right. let me just. So, is right. it you in the same boat as that? Or? A little bit. You know, I mean, you know, at the same time, you know, I, uh, I try not. I mean, the subject itself is so sen sensationalistic, you know, and I try. Uh, to be a little understated in a way, you know, because you let the horror speak for itself. Um, but at the same time, you know, I have to try to find a way to make the horror palpable, you know, for the reader, again, without seeming like overly exploitive in some way. You know, you, you, you have to bring, uh, you know, it sounds pretentious about it, you know, but you do have to bring a certain artfulness, mm -hmm. you know, to how you present it in order to get that impact across. You know, I had the really interesting experience years ago. I was asked to give a talk to the New York medical examiners on the history of serial murder, and I have this PowerPoint presentation. And one of the things I, uh, so I, I have this thing which I sometimes give, it's called the history of serial murder from one million BC to the present. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, because, you know, it's probably based on, you know, my belief that, you know, our, these, these incredibly violent tendencies are rooted in our, DNA going back to our primate ancestors, you know, I mean chimpanzees with whom we share like 99.9% .9 of our DNA, those insanely violent creatures, you know, in the world. Um, but anyway, one thing I was shown with these old engravings of these Spanish artists Goya called the Disasters of War, you know, which depict these horrendous tortures that these soldiers were inflicting on civilians, really. You know, there's one famous one where you know, they've impaled a guy, a guy on a tree through his anus and stuff like that, and another one where they're castrating a guy. Anyway, afterwards, I was talking to these, um, these medical examiners, and, and, you know, I'd been in their offices, and, you know, on their desk, they'd have the most horrendous crime scene photographs. I mean, I couldn't even look at them. You know, and, and as you say, they were, like, eating lunch. Anyway, they were very freaked out by these uh, images. <laughs> and... You know, it was like a testimony to the way, you know, an, an art, you know, can capture a quality of sadism. You know what I mean? You know, convey, you know, some emotional, psychological evil. Yeah. You know, that y you don't really, you know, after you've seen a whole bunch of dead bodies and you're just like, you know, analyzing it in terms of the forensic you don't feel. So, again, I, I, I try without being overly sensationalistic, 
you know, to, to capture some of that quality of evil. So. No, I got to say something while you can have a drink now. Me and Sean will talk for a second. And I'm being joined by Sean Riddle. We're actually getting the third mic. Don't worry about it. But we actually always, Sean and I talk so many when we have a lot of guests on. Usually it's more people. It's at night. Yeah. But it's funny. I know personally, I just want to sit back and just want to hear you talk. Because it's, <laughs> no, because hearing your words and now you're hearing like, you hear it's like, I'm overwhelmed that you're here. I'm like super yeah. stoked out about it. Uh, well, thank you. Well, you know, I was thinking, um, a lot of your critics, like, I mean, if we were to go back to Amazon, one of the great things that you do yeah. is you tap into that mind. You mm -hmm. describe it so yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. And I know you said, you know, you got to go to that place when yeah. you're writing. Yeah. So what I was, like, really wondering was, is there a certain routine that you do, some no. sort of ritual, no. like Sherlock Holmes, you know, he, no. the, you know, whenever they would write about him, they'd say he was addicted no. to like, oh. I'm not saying you're addicted to opium, <laughs> cocaine, cocaine yeah. but I'm just saying, you know, no. maybe along the lines, no. like, I don't know, um, you light yeah. a candle and like oh, no, yeah. sit back, well, relax. Uh, well, I mean, my writing routine, you know, at this point, you know, I've been, I've been writing a book, a, I just turned 68, and I've been writing a book a year oh. since I was 30. So at this point, it's, it's really a habit. You know, I, I, I have to write every day for a certain mm -hmm. amount of time. Not a lot, really. You know, I, you know I, I always say to people, I mean, my, you know, my sense of uh, accomplishment is based on having very low expectations for myself. <laughs> you know, I'll get up in the morning and say, oh, maybe I'll write a paragraph. You know, and then if I write a couple of paragraphs, I'll feel really happy and stuff. But um, so, so on, you know, in terms of the writing, you know, just this habitual thing. And, and if I go without writing for whatever reason for a day or so, you know, as with any other habit, you know, I start getting very anxious. But um, the one thing I do is usually when I'm working on a book, I try to have some artifact, you know, connected with the crime. Um, there you know, it is. Right there. That's what I was looking yeah. for. So, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, for example, when I was working on the Packer book, I went on eBay and I actually managed to acquire uh, the, this original, um, there was a, a publication called Harper's Weekly, you know, where they published this very, some, some illustrator was out in Colorado and he, and he came upon the remains of Packer's victims and they published a very gruesome uh, engraving of it. And, you know, I, I, I got one and, you know, I hung it over my desk while I was working on that. Um, you know, I did another book on this 1840s uh, murder that the guy committed with a shingle hammer. You know, so I got a 19th century shingle hammer, you know, and kept it on my desk. Yeah. So, yeah, I do that. When I wrote the Poe books, excuse me, because I had to write them in the voice of Poe, then I really did have a routine. You know, in order to get, th I had to get that voice going in my head. So, so before every day I wrote, I would read, you know, a bunch of Edgar Allan Poe until the voice got going in my head and then I could write it. It's so cool. cool. So no cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not, not for the writing. Yeah. All right. Dr. Howard checked out. Yeah. We're going to take a few. <laughs> yeah. All right. We've had you for a while. A few more minutes. We're going to keep you. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're not going to ask any controversial questions, but yeah. Anne Rule did the quote unquote definitive book on Ted Bundy. Yeah, yeah. Was it Vincent Bogolsky? Did the Headless Skelter? Yeah. Charles Manson? I feel you did the one on H.H. H. Holmes. Is there any, I don't want to say beef, this isn't like high school stuff, but any uh, maybe not ill will, I don't want to use the right the word, any problems with Eric Larson writing his book? Because yeah. the truth, he's actually coming on in two weeks. Uh -huh. cancel, I'll cancel him right now. No, but <laughs> any. Will. I, I did I would, for a long time. Did you? Yeah. Um, 
Why so? Because well, I just your book came out before. Because your, I don't want to cut you up. Your books were very, I don't want to say similar. No. He took a lot of stuff from your, yeah. right. borrowed. He yeah. borrowed stuff from your book. Well, let me say, I mean, you know, if you look at Devil in the White City, I think my book is cited like close to 40 <clears throat> times. You know, it's a lot of times to use secondary source. Um, but, you know, you know, he's... He's a very good writer, Lawson. I actually was an admirer of his before that book came out. I had read Isaac Storm, which I liked a Great lot. Great book. Um, and, you know, give him credit. You know, the way I feel about Devil in the White City is that he kind of made serial murder books safe for suburban book clubs, you know, by merging it with all the stuff about the uh, World's Fair architect. So, yeah, I mean, I was unhappy, you know, for a long time. Um, but, you know, whatever. You know, now I... Um, Did he ever reach out to you or anything about the book? or just He actually contacted me um, before his book came out. Okay. Maybe about six months before his book. You know, when I did my book, I had become friends. In fact, it's, my book is dedicated to her. I had become friends with a woman named Mildred Voorhees Kerr, who was... Um, the granddaughter of uh, Desi Peitzel, um, you know, one of Holmes's victims. victims. And she had all these um, family photographs that she bequeathed to me, um, and, uh, you know, of Peitzel and his family. And, and before Larson's book came out, he contacted me uh, I, and, uh, you know, asked me, you know, if, if I could give him permission to reprint those photographs and I basically told them it was fine with me but I didn't feel I, I had the ownership of them mm -hmm. really so and I don't think he ever did any photographs in his book so I knew his book was coming out and I said I remember saying to him yeah well I hope you'll be you know footnoting my book you know <laughs> I had no idea what kind of book it was uh -huh. I sort of assumed it was a <coughs> going to be like a scholarly book or something mm -hmm. so um, but anyway yes yeah, so so yes it was it was a uh, you know, it was an issue for me for a long time, but, you know. So, let me, are we allowed to have him on the show? Because you're a friend of the show now. Absolutely. So, I will have him on. Yeah. <laughs> we, won't, we won't bring yeah. you up, but. Uh, yeah. yeah, feel free to bring it up. Yeah, oh, I will bring it up. <laughs> first thing, Eric Lawson, right now, why'd you yeah. steal from yeah. Um I don't collect any memorabilia. That's just something I don't do. The only thing in my apartment, I have two seats from Yankee Stadium uh -huh. in my apartment. But around, I guess like nine years ago, I read Helter Skelter. Uh -huh. And there was a website called Supernaut. Have you ever heard of it? Mm -mm. And they sell murderabilia. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. So I wrote to the guy. I'm like, listen, I have no money. But if you can ever give me anything, it'll be really cool. Uh -huh. So I kind of harassed him for six months. Uh, and I'm like, hey, anything laying around you don't want, you don't want. I think you just wanted to shut me up. So I'm going to show you something I got that's kind of cool. Oh. Now it's going to be like dead silent for 10 seconds. <laughs> and it's kind of cool because he's been in, been in the news. So the guy, he emails me in 2007 or eight, and He's like, hey, I got something laying around. It's shit. It's garbage. But... It's from someone pretty famous. Do you want it? I'll surprise you with who it is. I'm like, as long as it's real, I'm like, I'll yeah. never sell it, never. Yeah. So I brought this for you, so maybe one day I'll get an invite to your study so I can see your stuff. But it's actually an autograph from Charles Manson. Oh, cool. It's actually some scribble he said from Charles Manson. And I actually went yeah. to a, yeah. like his website, like yeah. the website to verify the stuff. Yeah. Every uh, cursive of the A and everything's the same. That's kind of cool, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, well, um, and it, that's gonna lead you to the fish. Yeah, he just drew like a, a face on the back of it. And I remember it came in the mail, yeah. and I was like 25, living with my mom. I'm like, yeah. Ma, look at this. Oh, she went crazy. She's like, Don't you remember the Time magazine? I'm like, no, <laughs> I wasn't alive when the Time magazine yeah. came, cover came on. Yeah. Well, so that, you know, I, I'll have to introduce you to a friend of mine who has like some amazing, amazing stuff. So, um, is that the one with the fish letter? Yeah, yeah, that's the one I want. I really yeah. want to meet. Yeah, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll introduce you to him. Because of my job, I've got to see. Um, I got to see like. Uh, Mark David Chapman's gun. I have pictures of it. Oh, mm-hmm. Berkowitz's gun. Yeah. That's kind of cool, but that doesn't, like, right. something super rare. Yeah. Like, and so what is, so you saw it, because I was telling him, you had, you s- touched the Albert Fish letter, which is. Well, I've, touched, I've touched the frame that is. Yeah. Here. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, no, I've seen a lot of stuff. And, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, an, another guy that I haven't been in contact with him for years, but say um, a guy named Rick Staten down in Louisiana who has like an incredible collection of serial killer stuff. He, he actually did in New York, was very controversial years ago. He did a gallery show of all the serial killer art. Um, but he has, yeah, he has an incredible collection. So. All right, so now this is when I actually, oh, go ahead, Sean. Uh, I think I speak for everybody uh, for the post. Uh, I'm actually going to have Mike read the letter. <laughs> <laughs> True, he will. Yeah. All right, we're going to finish up. You've, you've been on so long. I really appreciate it. This right, is like super pleasure. cool. It's been great. Three ge- dinner guests or bar guests. I wouldn't say dinner. I don't want to have dinner with anyone besides maybe a really pretty girl or my mom. Yeah. Three people sitting in a bar with having a beer with in the history of time. Three. And there's a crime? Yeah, yeah. We don't want to hear like, oh, my two daughters. <laughs> no, we want to hear like. Huh. Okay, well, I got to give it a minute. Um, now, could they be people that like I would be really terrified of? Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, everybody. Okay. Yeah. Three people that you're going to be sitting... So right now, we're at Jack Dempsey's bar. Yeah. Like that little plug. They give us the third floor all alone. Yeah. So you're sitting up here. You're going to have four beers, a beer in front of you, and three other guests. There's going to be a guy sitting next to you and yeah. across from you and on an angle. Yeah. What three people do you just want to... For 20 minutes. Okay. Well, one person, I would kind of almost be fascinated to have a conversation with Ted Bundy, knowing what I do about him. You know, partly because... You know, I mean, people like Albert Fish, for example, was so creepy <laughs> in every way <laughs> that you'd kind of know. I mean, you might not know he was a cannibal pedophile, you know, but you'd still probably figure, you know, there's something weird about him. You know, but the disparity with Bundy, you know, between his persona, you know, and this monster that lurked beneath it, you know, was so extreme, so radical. You know, that it would be a little fascinating to have a one-to-one conversation and see if you could detect anything, you know, there. So um, then whoever was Jack the Ripper, then I would know who Jack the Ripper was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, third, uh, well, maybe possibly, you know, like Nathan Leopold. You know, Leopold and Loeb? Leopold and Loeb, you know, these... Very, very, very infamous, what they call thrill killers back in the mm-hmm. 1920s. I mean, it was one of the, you know, great crimes of the century. Um, y- you know, there's a phenomenon that I write about sometimes called the folia de, which you may have encountered. You know, we have these two people who sort of individually would not have really ever committed a horrible crime, but you put them together. And they always say that about uh, Charles Ng and Leonard Lake. Yeah, yes, that's a good example. Or the Hillside Stranglers, or you know, even like the DC Snipers, mm-hmm. and you, know, you see <coughs> a lot of cases of it. 
um, you know, the Moors murderers in England. Um, you know, Leopold and Loeb was this really, really brilliant guy. Um, again, you know, I don't know if he'd want to talk about anything. <laughs> I mean, you know, in your hypothetical, you know, you know, I'd want to, like, ask them questions they might not actually be interested in answering. Um, it's like, dude, we just want to have a beer, and you're talking about, <laughs> come on, man, let's, we live in the present, like, man. Yeah, talking about, like, why I kidnapped and murdered this 13-year-old. It's like, I just wanted yeah. two beers and a shot, and you yeah. bring up the past. You want to talk about the Giants. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, so that'd be it. Yeah. Do you ever, um, you, you've done the show, you've done a bunch of podcasts, a bunch of, do you get bored like answering the same questions because i oh. i always tell him and like damien eccles came on and the biggest compliment i've ever received yeah. he's like dude this was the best show because you were yeah. you were different you didn't say what is this and i interview yeah. uh, this guy lee abamante he's the most traveled man in the world and he's yeah. like thank you for not saying window seat or aisle seat like i try <laughs> to make it a tad different but yeah. you are yeah. pigeonholed yeah. like do you um do you feel like answering the same qu- like holy shit I do dude often, and i haven't today Oh, that's really, good. That's, yeah, that's good. Yeah, absolutely. No, I felt incredibly relaxed, and I thought the questions were great. But yeah, often, and I'll say to my wife, you know, sometimes I'll get off a phone or, or you know, sometimes, you know, I, I have done a <coughs> bunch and I'm scheduled to do more, you know, these like TV documentaries and stuff. There are so many of them now, you mm-hmm. know. You know, I'll come home and say, I'm never doing that again, <laughs> you know, because... <laughs> You know, I just can't work up the enthusiasm for it and stuff. So, but this has been great. I appreciate that. Yeah. And do you listen to podcasts? I'm always curious. Um, a couple, yeah, you know, when I'm on them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you this link yeah. when we're done. Yeah. Um, and the last, I have like two more little questions. I don't know if Sean has any. Yeah. Genres you read, because I know with my job, I don't really um, look into any other jobs because right. I want Monday morning quarterback. Uh-huh. Do you read true crime or do you read certain like I read some? And I know you said you read your daughter's work. Do you yeah. read your wife's work? Obviously, you don't want to oh, get yeah. in trouble. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I read. Yeah, I mean, I read a lot of different yeah. stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you know, yes. Um, but uh, although I have to say, well, partly because me and my reading right now is very curtailed because of my eye. Okay. I've been listening to a lot of stuff on Audible. Um, but yeah, I mean, I read a variety of things. I, I usually. Um, Sort of alternate between nonfiction and fiction. That's um, I you know, right now I'm listening to Bruce Springsteen's memoir, which is very good. Um, and after that, you know, when I was recovering from my operation, I was just lying there listening to Lee Childs and stuff. Um, so, you know, and then every now and then I'll feel, you know, hey, I'm a literature professor. I should read something serious. Um, so, yeah, I read a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. I love how I said me too. Like I'm comparing, yeah, I do the same thing. But I, actually, I read like a nonfiction book. Uh-huh. A fiction book, and I'll go to a sports book to completely mix it up. It's like killing, a little romance, sports, and that's what I try to do. Sean, anything else before we... You have so many things that I love to see in the movies, so it's more of just a request. (laughs) Please just try harder. (laughs) (laughs) Really put it out there. Uh Uh, The book Evermore. I love the plot. plot. Well, you know, yeah, I think it's... But I think that's maybe been killed off by, you know, uh, what's we call it? Uh, Kuz- John Cusack did a Poe movie that I don't think did very well. So I don't know how enthusiastic Hollywood's going to want to be for another one. Such a Thank cool you. concept, yeah, though. Yeah, it was cool yeah. You ever seen League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? I did, yeah. That's what it kind of... Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you might sell out a little bit, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah, but yeah. No, no, I was, <laughs> you know, I'm very, yeah, I mean, that's a book I'm very proud of. Um, well, I did, yeah, I mean, those books were hard for me to write, again, partly because... You know, I had to get into this mode every day. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, of my own books, that's one of my favorites. You know, Edgar Allan Poe and Davy Crockett solve a mystery together. A crime, crime. Uh, yeah. To, um, yeah. And Baltimore. Right. Thank you. Enough <laughs> said. Appreciate that. Yeah. So I'm going to finish with this. <clears throat> one, we're going to say it on air because one day Sean and I are going to come to your study. I said this, Sean, last time. You told me you listened to it, but I said I figured Harold Schechter sitting in his study. Listen, the fireplace crackling. Yeah. Maybe a scotch or a wine with his slippers on. And just like, <laughs> I feel like just a dark room that you walk in, like, sir, hi. Um, yeah. Like, wait, wait, right now we're sitting here just having a beer. Yeah. And, sir, um, is there, a, like, don't you feel the same <laughs> way? Like, very intimidating. I know he is. <laughs> we sit across, I'm telling you, because of my job, I meet intimidating people. Yeah. We've sitting across from superstar athletes, like, Cover Sports Illustrated, like legit athletes. I don't know why they come on this show, and yet I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of intimidated. I'm, I'm tapping. I'm like, dude, Arnold check this here. Have a seat. Very flattered. You know, you know, it's great. We'll end with this. I feel bad for like the husband for the uh, his daughter's husband. Like, sir, can I sit down <laughs> in the study? And you hear this, like, he probably goes with the silence of the crackling of the fireplace. Yeah. Can I take your daughter's hand in marriage? <laughs> he probably like waits a long end. Yeah. Okay, like none of that happened. <laughs> sorry, anyway. no, don't ruin the fantasy. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Anyway. Well, Harold, listen, when I mean pleasure, like we were pumped up and I always text Sean like, hey, this guy's coming on, so come here. This athlete, tomorrow, like Omar from The Wire, Chalky White, yeah. Michael Cape. Like he's a, yeah. we're like, oh, okay, he's coming on, kind of cool. Hope he's not, we'll upload this after he comes on. Chalky White also uh, from uh, The Night Of. What's, I, don't, I don't really watch TV or movies. Oh, yeah. You're asking me. The Night Of was this HBO series okay. that he was, you know, one of the stars of. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah he's like, I didn't know how famous he was when I met him. Yeah. So I'm like super stoked because people are like, can we come tomorrow to the show? So yeah, yeah. when I mean absolute pleasure to sit here and talk to you, we have your books. This is my friend Alan from Argentina. He, he saw that book. He goes, can, can I have it? Like, <laughs> So <laughs> thank you so much for coming. Like, this was thank just you, one of the great. coolest things ever. Sure. Thank you. Anything? It's good. Oh, yeah. Thanks for coming. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. It was great. I want to get a picture. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll be soon. Thank you again, everybody, for listening, and stay tuned tomorrow for Michael K. Williams.